That's the latest. I'm Ruth McKee. K107 News. The Peter Vardy Big Sale ends this month. So if you want a big choice of cars, even bigger savings and some brilliant deals, visit us in-store now. Peter Vardy! If you like Dave who orders his weekly supermarket shop online, or like Sandra who renews her insurance through a comparison site, or even Alan who orders his office supplies online, you can be raising free donations every time you shop. When you shop, renew or order online through easy fundraising, thousands of big brands will donate to organisations like K107FM. And it doesn't cost you a penny. Search Easy Fundraising and K107FM and make your money count. From Abbots Hall to the A92. This is K107FM. And so, if you're under pressure, getting nowhere fast and despair of the bureaucrats and worse, get ITV to commission a series about it. Never has a group of people been better served by television than the workers sold out by the post office and now finding justice thanks to a four-part drama on ITV. Office prosecutions, now there are questions for the Crown Office. Hamza Yusuf claims Scots would be thousands of pounds better off with independence. And Anas Sarwar says the Scots are being failed by their two governments. From Caledonia Media, I'm Charles Fletcher with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Holyrood. Time and time again, they were not listened to. They have waited far too long for justice. They waited far too long for compensation. This government will work with the UK government to ensure they get access to not just justice, but access to the compensation they so uh, rightly deserve. It's the week the gloves came off as the real countdown to the general election begins. In one corner, the SNP, where pundits predict them to shed seats as the nation says it's scunnered with them. In the other, refreshed Labour with a spring in its step under the vibrant leadership of Anas Sarwar. The Conservatives say they'll not only hold their seats here, they'll make gains. And Alaba is confident and fielding candidates nationwide under the banner of independence. But the big story this week is the gripping ITV drama that has forced politicians to act instead of dither. And after years of despair finally deliver justice for the country's postmasters and postmistresses treated appallingly by the post office. We join Tom Bradby at ITV News. When hundreds of sub-postmasters and mistresses insisted they had not had their hands in their tills, the head of the post office at the time, Paula Venels, wasn't listening. Well, she's listening now. After the shock reaction to the ITV drama, Mr Bates versus the post office, which has been watched by almost 10 million people and rising. With her already tarnished reputation now shredded, Miss Venels said she was aware of the calls for her to return her CVE. I have listened, she said, and I am returning it with immediate effect. With the dignity on display in the miniseries, the real-life sub-postmasters and mistresses said they were glad and they have something else to be pleased about, potentially at least. The government said today it would announce soon a plan to overturning the remaining 700-plus convictions, all in one go, if that is what they want. He is on his list. 
God's sake. Come on, turn it off, details, man. Come to bed. Paula Venables has got the CBE. Joking. It is one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in recent history. Yet, some of those at the very top of the post office received honours for their service. But since the ITV drama, pressure has been mounting on Paula Venables, with more than one million people signing a petition to have her stripped of her CBE. Today, she released a statement and said, I have listened and I confirm that I returned my CBE with immediate effect. I am truly sorry for the devastation caused to the sub-postmasters and their families whose lives were torn apart by being wrongly accused and wrongly prosecuted. For Ian Warren, a former sub-postmaster who says his life was ruined by this scandal, this is just one small step in the right direction. I think she has made a very wise decision to hand it back herself. She should be made to suffer what we did, be prosecuted and let the law uh, take its uh, uh, course. Ian still hasn't been compensated and those who have worked on getting sub-postmasters justice are aware more needs to be done. Do you think returning the CBE is enough? No. There were so many questions that were going unanswered uh, that questions that MPs were putting to her and she either didn't know the answers when she should have been uh, finding them out or she did know the answers and was not telling them to us. While some sub-postmasters have had their conviction quashed, there are hundreds still waiting, which was part of the focus in the Commons today. Former senior cabinet ministers asked the Justice Secretary to explore ways to speed up the process. We can do something good, Mr Speaker, together, if the Justice Secretary would bring a simple bill to quash all 800 immediately. Uh, the suggestion he made is receiving active consideration. I expect to be able to make further announcements shortly. But there are ethical questions about whether Parliament should intervene in an independent judiciary in this way. There is, however, clearly consensus across the political spectrum to overturn these convictions, but we are waiting on how and when that will happen. Chihab Khan News at 10, Westminster. So who are the key figures in this scandal? Well, much of the criticism has fallen on Paula Vanells, who was chief executive of the post office between 2012 and 2019. But there are others facing questions too. Adam Crozier was chief executive of Royal Mail Group from 2003 to 2010 when it controlled the post office. And Angela van der Bogard was former head of partnerships and business improvement director at the post office. She was a central figure at the hearings. Politicians have also faced criticism. Sir Ed Davey, current leader of the Lib Dems, among them, who was postal affairs minister during the coalition. He initially refused to even meet Mr Bates. He now says he was misled by post office executives at the time. Other Liberal Democrats held the role after him, including Sir Norman Lamb and former leader Joe Swinson. But here, surely, is the question. Have you personally ever walked into a post office and thought of the sub-postmaster or mistress? Blimey, they look like a bit of a crook. So how come no-one in politics looked at the hundreds of convictions and thought, this just can't be right? Robert is here uh, to talk about this. I mean, there are many questions. What are politicians going to do? What should they do? Is Ed Davey going to... Resigned, do you think, as a result of all this? Because the public anger is continuing, no doubt about it. Well, at the moment, Sir Davey is blaming everybody else, saying he was misled by the post office and his own officials. The job of ministers, however, is, as you say, it goes against common sense. 
that there would be so many sub-postmaster crooks? When in the history of the post office has there ever been so many crooks? Why didn't it ring alarm bells with him when there were so many? And he, I think at the time that he was in charge of the post office, this rather brave man, Alan Bates, had already put together 100. 100 is a lot of alleged and Ed Davey didn't think, oh, this is a bit odd. Why didn't he ask the post office, he was in charge as the minister uh, of this operation, and his officials for evidence that these people were all wrong? So he's still got more questions to answer, absolutely no question about that. But then you've gone through the litany of other people mm. who could have at an earlier stage stood up and said... What the, 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 you know, our systems show goes against all common sense, the computer must be wrong. And it's really quite terrifying in one sense that we're about to go into this age of AI when we're going to be delegating enormous numbers of operations to machines. One of the things that's come out as a result of what we've learned uh, through over the years of this scandal, is that the law, when it comes to evidence based on computers, is completely wrong. Because basically, if a, in a court case evidence is provided by a computer, the judge takes it for granted that that is just truth, factual truth. So none of the defendants have the ability to say, but the computers are wrong. They are effectively lying. We have to change the law in that fundamental sense. Now, the other thing that's going to happen, yeah. I understand, is the government is going to introduce this uh, emergency legislation to declare all these people innocent. Some people may say, well, that is fantastic and long overdue. But some of these people who've been falsely accused actually want proper justice and they're not sure that their dignity will be restored by this emergency legislation. They would like to be proved innocent in court. OK, Robert, thank you very much indeed. That sequence from my colleagues at ITV News. Here, the Crown Office is facing questions over its role in the post office prosecutions. Scotland's Lord Advocate Dorothy Bain has offered to brief MSPs at Holyrood Members here may decide instead she should be summoned to explain. In the chamber, the First Minister, Hamza Yusuf, says his ministerial team is already working with counterparts in Whitehall to expedite clearing names and paying compensation. Labour's Anas Sarbar says truth and justice must be paramount. We'll hear from him shortly. First, Conservative leader Douglas Ross says the Lord Advocate must come to the chamber to be quizzed. The Horizon Post Office scandal is a horrendous miscarriage of justice that ruined hundreds of lives. Politicians of all parties will rightly reflect on what they should have done sooner. The UK government has now acted to overturn the wrongful convictions of innocent victims. In Scotland, however, prosecutions were handled by the Crown Office, not the Post Office. So can I ask the First Minister, has he established if a consent motion to UK law is the fastest way to clear all victims here in Scotland? And will he confirm to Parliament how he'll work with the UK Government to overturn these convictions as quickly as possible? First Minister. Presenting Officer, can I first and foremost pay tribute to Alan Bates and all the other hundreds of campaigners, yeah, yes. sub-postmasters... <laughs> sub all of the sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses who campaign tirelessly over decades to ensure that they receive justice, justice they are still waiting for. Of course, it should not have taken a TV drama for action to have to be taken. And Douglas Ross is right. Uh, there is a need for reflection 
for all of those uh, involved in the post office is, of course, a wholly uh, reserved institution which is accountable uh, to UK government uh, ministers. The difference, as Douglas Ross rightly points out here, is that prosecutions in Scotland have been taken forward by the Independent Crown and Procurator Fiscal uh, Service. I spoke to the Lord Advocate uh, just this morning and the Solicitor General uh, this morning, uh, and she uh, is willing uh, to provide uh, a briefing uh, to uh, any MSPs uh, that have uh, an interest in terms of the Crown's own handling uh, of uh, these issues. Uh, to answer uh, Douglas Ross's question directly, uh, the Justice Secretary has written to her counterpart in the UK Government to say we are willing to work with the UK Government in relation to legislation they are bringing forward to overturn wrongful uh, wrongful uh, convictions. Uh, I think the quickest way and fastest way to do that probably would be through the LCM uh, process, but there are a number of complexities to have to navigate uh, and to have to work through for some of the reasons that Douglas Ross has already uh, highlighted. So I think we will, of course, engage uh, immediately and urgently, and as we already have done with the UK Government. But what is absolutely certain, whether you are in Scotland or any other part of the United Kingdom and have been impacted and affected, by this that sub postmasters have waited far too long for justice they shouldn't have to wait a moment longer I join the, the First Minister in congratulating Alan Bates and others as I did in the House of Commons earlier this week uh, victims and the public will rightly ask why it's taken so long for this deep injustice to be corrected and multiple political parties and many individuals should have and could have acted sooner Blame starts with the post office, but people are understandably looking at what others could have done. Scotland's Crown Office were made aware of concerns with the Horizon system in 2013, more than 10 years ago. Dr Andrew Tickell, a senior law lecturer at Glasgow Caledonian University, said this week, and I quote, the revelation that the Crown Office knew of problems is huge. He continued, did they stop prosecuting? Did it occur to them that any of their cases before 2013 might now be unsafe because of these uncertainties? And he added that Scotland was just at the beginning of addressing the miscarriage of justice, while England and Wales were much, much further down the line. I'm just quoting a law professor, so I'm, I'm simply asking the First Minister... Let's hear Mr Ross. Does he agree that the process here in Scotland needs to be accelerated? First Minister. I, I would say to uh, Douglas Ross, first and foremost, let's remember, of course, that the, and there is a public inquiry, of course, uh, underway. But I think it's been well established, of course, that uh, the inaccurate data presented by the, and inaccurate evidence presented by the post office is at the very heart uh, of the scandal. And the post office, of course, uh, is accountable and has been accountable to UK government minister and ministers over many successive uh, UK governments. So that will all undoubtedly be uh, a matter of interrogation and questioning by the public inquiry. Uh, in terms of the Crown Office, and I reiterate the point that Lord Advocate is willing to meet with members of the Scottish Parliament to talk them through what the Crown has done, because these are independent functions of the uh, Crown and Procurator Fiscal Service. Uh, but my understanding is uh, that when uh, the, the Crown Office was told in 2013 uh, by post office uh, solicitors uh, about uh, the horizon, uh, the challenges around horizon evidence, uh, they continued that dialogue uh, with the post office. Uh, but immediately in September 2013, they uh, made it aware uh, and provided guidance to every Scottish prosecutor at the earliest possible uh, point in time to treat cases reported by the post office 
uh, on their individual regard to their facts and circumstances and evidence which did not rely upon Horizon. They then spent the next couple of years between 2013 and 2015 in continual dialogue with the Post Office to try to get further detail around the evidential basis. And uh, just to conclude the position uh, post-2015 uh, uh, with regard to assurances uh, provided uh, is that uh, in 2015, uh, the Crown Prosecution Service issued instructions to all prosecutors not to proceed with any post office case in which a sufficiency of evidence was dependent on evidence from the Horizon system. So no cases prosecuted effectively from 2015 that where, where the evidence was dependent on evidence from the Horizon uh, system. Uh, in terms of uh, where we are in relation to the process with the Scottish Criminal Case uh, Review uh, Commission, uh, what I'm willing to do is work with the UK Government to look at a process which effectively en masse uh, seeks to overturn any wrongful convictions. Douglas Ross. So the actions of the post office were despicable and, and probably criminal, but the actions of the Crown Office here in Scotland should trouble us greatly. There was a sudden spike in cases involving people who were some of the most trusted in their communities, but the Crown Office proceeded anyway. That was until 2013, and suddenly they decided not to proceed with a case in the Gorbals. Now, the First Minister has just articulated that it was September 2013 when the Crown Office first found out and sent out that information, but it wasn't. We know on the 29th of January 2013 that a prosecutor fiscal cited, and I quote, issues with Horizon as the reason for not proceeding with a case in January 2013, not in September 2013. Stuart Monroe, convener of the Law Society of Scotland's Criminal Law Committee, said the Procurator Fiscal should have gone public. He says, and this is his quote, the Procurator Fiscal has a legal duty to disclose relevant information of those accused of crimes, and that duty continues even after a trial is concluded. As soon as the Procurator Fiscal became aware of concerns about the reliability of the horizon, that should have been disclosed. So does the First Minister agree that Scotland's Crown Office has serious questions to answer here? First Minister. What I would say to, to, to Douglas Ross, uh, and, and, and I say this uh, genuinely in sincerity, is that the real questions, of course, are for the Post Office yeah. Yeah. and, of course, the information that Post Office provided, not just to the Crown, to government ministers uh, as well. And that is why a public Let's inquiry the First Minister. Uh, is so important and anybody who has questions to answer should cooperate with that public inquiry. But let's not forget the Post Office is a wholly reserved institution yeah. directly accountable to UK uh, government ministers. Yeah. Uh, what I would say about questions to the Crown, and there, there are legitimate questions uh, to ask of the Crown. The Crown, of course, uh, does operate independently of government ministers uh, and, of course, as it should uh, operate independently of uh, myself as the first uh, minister. So there are uh, questions, very legitimate questions, that individuals and indeed members of this chamber will have for the Crown Office. I repeat uh, what Lord Advocate told me this morning. She is more than happy to provide a briefing uh, to uh, members of the Parliament that have an interest. I will uh, end uh, by reiterating the points I made at uh, the very beginning, uh, which is that sub-postmasters, sub-postmistresses have waited far too long for justice. It's incumbent on all of us to ensure that we not just get them access to that justice, but access to compensation too. Douglas Ross. Uh, the UK-wide inquiry, which the First Minister has mentioned, will look at all of these issues. And it's right it continues to scrutinise what happened. But we must examine the unique circumstances in Scotland where the Crown Office were responsible for prosecutions of innocent people. If the 
Crown Office knew of specific problems more than a decade ago, that raises serious questions. We don't know what they did, if anything, with that information. The Horizon Post Office scandal has devastated lives. It is the most appalling misjustice, uh, miscarriage of justice. Good people were criminalised because of an IT failure they had nothing to do with and a cover-up that lasted for years. It's right that no stone is left unturned in seeking answers. The Crown Office in Scotland must be transparent. Prosecutors were aware of issues with the flawed horizon system more than 10 years ago. So, First Minister, we don't need meetings or briefings from the Lord Advocate. We need her here in Parliament to answer questions about this scandal. Does the First Minister agree that the, the Lord Advocate should urgently come to this Parliament to answer questions? First Minister. Again, can, can I just remind uh, Douglas Watson, this is a really important point, of course, that the Lord Advocate, uh, when she when discharges her functions uh, as uh, head of the Prosecution Service, she does so independently uh, of me. Uh, when I spoke to the Lord Advocate this morning, uh, she was more than happy to consider whether it was a briefing, whether it was a ministerial statement, whatever was appropriate, she was willing to consider that. And I'm certain the Lord Advocate uh, is listening to these exchanges. And of course, it will be for her to determine in her independent function as head of the prosecution service uh, on terms of how she should answer any of those questions. Let me reiterate uh, the point here uh, that Scottish prosecutors were told in September 2013 to treat cases reported by the, po the, the post office uh, in regard to their facts and circumstances and evidence which did not, did not re rely upon Horizon. So they should yeah. be uh, reported on their individual regard. Then, of course, no cases were prosecuted uh, from 2015 uh, where the sufficiency of evidence was dependent on the evidence from the Horizon system. And my understanding, again, uh, from uh, the conversations I've had with the Lord Advocate, is that uh, the engagement with the post office between 2013 and 2015, uh, the Crown Office were assured by post office and their legal representatives that issues that arise with the Horizon system in England did not impact on any live Scottish cases. So they continued to seek those assurances and then took the action that they did in both 2013 and 2015 uh, uh, as well. Uh, Presiding officer, I simply end uh, where I started time and time again, sub-postmasters, sub-postmistresses were telling uh, the UK uh, government, they were telling ministers in the UK government that the body that they are wholly responsible for, the post office, was lying. Uh, they were simply not telling the truth about the horizon system. Time and time again, they were not listened to. They have waited far too long for justice. They waited far too long for compensation. This government will work with the UK government to ensure they get access to not just justice, but access to the compensation they so uh, rightly deserve. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood with Charles Fletcher. Here's Labour leader Anas Sarwa. The lives of potentially hundreds of Scottish sub-postmasters and their families were ruined by post office and Fujitsu. People lost their livelihoods and in some cases even lost their lives. They've described being ostracised in their communities, their families shunned and their children targeted. It is a national disgrace. I welcome that these convictions will be overturned but there is more to this scandal. Unlike in England and Wales, where the post office itself brought these prosecutions, in Scotland they were carried out by the Crown Office and the Procurator for School. And as we've heard, we know ministers in the Crown were made aware of concerns around unsafe prosecutions in 2013. So can I ask the First Minister what conversations he, his Justice Secretary and the Lord Advocate have had about the role of Scottish institutions 
in prosecuting these cases and how this was allowed to happen for so long. First Minister. Um, uh, let me just be clear, uh, whether I was just a secretary at the time or indeed in my current role as First Minister, it would be wholly inappropriate for any government minister to demand to see the evidential basis for a case that the Crown was prosecuting. I, I know Anna Sauer is not asking that, but I'm making the point here uh, that if the, the, the issue here is the evidence that was provided by the post office, it would be wrong for me to, in any ministerial position to suggest that I need to see that evidential basis in any individual prosecution. Anna Sauer asked what conversations I've had with the Lord Advocate. I had a conversation again this morning with the Lord Advocate and the Lord Advocate stressed a number of points. She's happy to provide a timeline in terms of uh, how the Crown has responded. Uh, she is very confident about uh, the Crown's uh, response. They were told in 2013 about possible problems. They issued guidance to their individual prosecutors in 2013. They stopped prosecuting cases in 2015 after a period of uh, continual uh, conversation with the post office, stopped prosecuting cases in 2015 with the sufficiency of evidence was dependent uh, on the Horizon uh, system. And Lord Advocate is open to briefing members of the Scottish Parliament. And again, as we've already heard, whether that's through a briefing or whether that's through a ministerial statement, I'm sure Lord Advocate uh, will, of course, uh, reflect. But Anna Sauer is absolutely right at the heart of this. Hundreds of people right across the United Kingdom whose lives and reputations have been tarnished and ruined. It is incumbent that the, this government works with any other government, including the UK government, across uh, the United Kingdom to ensure that justice uh, is, is, uh, justice is forthcoming and, comp and access to compensation is not impeded. There are big questions for the Crown Office and the Procurator Fiscal and I think it would be right if the Lord Advocate came to this Parliament to answer those questions from members. But this goes beyond convictions. Uh, disturbing accounts from the public inquiry have revealed that post office employees were going door to door in Scotland to threaten and extort money from sub-postmasters. In behaviour reminiscent of the mob, these stories show that the post office behaved like a private police force and showed little regard for the law in Scotland. Sub-postmasters were pressured into accepting accusations of false accounting and forced to hand over thousands of pounds that day or face imprisonment. First Minister, if any other organisation had behaved like this in Scotland, we would expect to see criminal investigations into their conduct. So does he agree that this potentially criminal behaviour by post office officials in Scotland should be properly investigated so this scandal does not go unpunished. First Minister. Uh, can I say to uh, Anna Sawar, um, and I should have perhaps said this at the beginning of my response to Douglas Ross, I, I uh, absolutely um, empathise in the strongest way possible with the harrowing tales that we've heard from sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses right up and down the country. My own family are sub-postmasters. My late grandfather was a, a sub uh, postmaster and my step-grand uh, continues uh, to be so, uh, although not affected by this uh, particular uh, scandal. What I would say to Anna Sauer, the big difference, of course, is that the post office does not have the ability to bring private prosecutions here in Scotland. That is very different, of course, to the situation in England uh, and uh, Wales. Uh, the the behaviours uh, of the post office should absolutely rightly be interrogated. That is why there is a public inquiry. And of course, if there are any behaviours that are possibly criminal in Scotland, again, it is not for me uh, to investigate uh, those. It would rightly be for the independent Crown and Procurator Fiscal Service to do so. I've got every confidence that the Crown uh, will look into allegations uh, uh, or any, uh, any uh, allegations that are made uh, to them about any potential criminal behaviour. Anna Sauer. President Officer, too often in this country, when there is an injustice, the first instinct of institutions and government is to protect themselves. 
whether it's the sub-postmasters taking on the post office, the Hillsborough scandal, the C. diff scandal at the Vale of Leven, or victims at the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital. It shouldn't take victims disclosing the most harrowing moments of their lives to shame both of Scotland's governments into action, but it happens too often. Government is meant to be on the people's side, but tragically when victims come looking for justice, all they get are more barriers put in their way. And the silence, denial and cover-up compounds the injustice and amplifies their pain. Now, ministers, be they Scottish or UK, always say we must learn the lessons and it can't be allowed to happen again. But it does. So does the First Minister agree that the priority for government should be truth and justice for victims rather than protecting institutions or protecting individual reputations? First Minister. Uh, look, I, I do agree uh, that uh, is of paramount importance. I do remind, uh, and as our, of course, the Labour Party were in the UK government for a number of years, while sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses were telling UK government postal ministers, Labour ministers, that the post office was presenting inaccurate data. So I think it is important for all UK-based parties in particular to reflect on their relationship with the post office and whether they were listening uh, or not. In terms of, uh, in terms of the government's uh, approach, uh, I think we can demonstrate time and time and time again where issues have been brought to this government. Uh, we have not only engaged, uh, often in really difficult conversations, engaged with individuals who bring forward uh, harrowing stories and tales, but where necessary, of course, we will always investigate, whether that's through uh, the independence of uh, commissioners that we have here, whether it's the uh, Patient Safety Commissioner, which I'm pleased uh, that bill has uh, passed, whether it's through the duty of candour in relation to the NHS, whether it's through public inquiries that we instruct. Uh, this government's approach has been and will always be to ensure that we seek the truth and that we always ensure that we do right by the people of Scotland. And when it comes to this particular issue, when it comes to sub-postmasters here in Scotland, we will work with whoever we need to, including, of course, uh, the UK government, to ensure that those individuals not only get access to justice, but compensation which has been denied to them for far too long. In the House of Commons, a plague on all your houses, says the SNP's Westminster leader, Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, a horizon system introduced by Tony Blair, the former Labour Party leader and, of course, now a Knights Garter, a horizon system defended by the current leader of the Liberal Democrats, himself a Knight Bachelor, a horizon system scandal overseen by a former Conservative Prime Minister who now hides in the House of Lords as a Baron. The reality is that sub-postmasters never stood a chance against the Westminster establishment, did they? Yeah, yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, as I've said, this is actually one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our country's history. And all our thoughts are with those who worked so hard for their communities and have seen their lives and reputations destroyed. And, and since this scandal, as the Honourable Gentleman pointed out, has actually unfolded over decades and with multiple people clearly at fault, but since 2019 in the High Court case, this government established a statutory inquiry led by Sir Wynne Williams to uncover what went wrong, established an independent advisory board and has established three different compensation schemes paying out £150 million to over 2,500 people, with now almost two-thirds having received final compensation. But we must go further and faster, Mr Speaker, which is why we have made new announcements today. 
Mr Speaker, I don't think the Prime Minister quite gets it. This isn't just a plague on all their houses. This is a plague on this House itself, because injustice goes far beyond just the sub-postmasters. Just ask the WASPy women, or the victims of the Equitable Life scandal, or the victims of the Infected Blood scandal, or the victims' families from Grenfell or Hillsborough. The reality is that when the public come knocking on the doors of this here chamber seeking justice, the government only ever answers when they have no options left. Now, the Leader of the Opposition said last week that the public are right to be angry at Westminster, and they are angry at Westminster. They're angry at Westminster because they know that this place never really changes, does it, Prime Minister? No, Mr Speaker. Uh, This is... Uh, you know, and actually, I'm, I am sad that the honourable gentleman is trying to politicise something that has happened over multiple decades, with multiple people at fault. But the key thing is, after the 2019 High Court case, the government did act to establish an independent inquiry, independent compensation schemes, and, as I said, has paid out compensation to two and a half thousand people. But rather than trying to politicise it, what we should be doing is focusing on the people affected and making sure that they get the answers, justice and compensation that they deserve, and that is what we are delivering. Politics change, but never stop. It affects everything we do. I'm Charles Fletcher with The Week in Hollywood. Join me here for coverage of the Scottish, UK and European parliaments. It's a crucial election year where you once again have a choice. Who's in, who's out? The ups, the downs. Join me, Charles Fletcher, bringing Holyrood home. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood with Charles Fletcher and still to come in the programme, backbench questions to the First Minister and the first PMQs of the year. We're inside Westminster. It's election year. The Prime Minister says he expects that to be in the later part of the year with good money going on October after conference season. But there are still bets on a May election and Rishi Sunak has left enough wriggle room to call it for then. In Scotland, Hamza Yusuf says everyone in Scotland would be £10,000 better off with independence. The real-life shining example for Scotland that we can aspire to, independent countries that are significantly fairer and wealthier than the UK. Countries like Ireland, like Norway, Denmark, they have both higher productivity but also lower inequality than the UK. In other words, they combine that economic dynamism with social solidarity. So with all of our strengths, the key question is this. Why not Scotland? In a recently, recent well-publicised report, the Resolution Foundation said that if the United Kingdom had the average income and inequality of similar countries, then the typical household would be £8,300 better off. And if we use that very same analysis for countries that are similar to Scotland, the prize for the typical Scottish household would be even greater. They would be £10,200 better off. That, then, is the huge prize of independence. Labour's Anasawa says that's a heap of baloney. He's ready for the change he says is coming in Edinburgh and London. Scotland is being failed by two bad governments who want you to believe this is as good as it gets. 
But to both those governments, we are putting you on notice because we are ready for a general election whenever the squatter in number 10 decides to call one. We are determined that 2024 will be the year of change, the year we've been scolded at the heart of a fairer, better, more prosperous UK. The year we start delivering thousands of green jobs. The year we drive down bills by up to £1,400. The year we deliver for working people and make work pay. The year we finally get rid of this rotten Tory government. And the year we make Labour the party of government again. Together we can make it happen. 2024, the year that change is delivered for Scotland and the UK. The change that we so desperately need. So let's get to work. Join us on that journey and let's make that change happen together. Well, let's head to London now and join the UK Labour leader Keir Starmer for his questions to the Prime Minister. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. I heard what the Prime Minister just said about the post office scandal. It is a huge injustice. People lost their lives, their liberty and their livelihood and they've been waiting far too long for the truth for justice and for compensation. So I'm glad the Prime Minister is putting forward a proposal. We will look at the details, and I think it's the job of all of us to make sure that it delivers the justice that is so needed. Mr Speaker, back in 2022, when Boris Johnson claimed he would send asylum seekers to Rwanda, one ambitious Tory MP had reservations. He agreed with Labour that it wouldn't work. It was a waste of money. It was the latest in a long line of gimmicks. Does the Prime Minister know what happened to that MP? Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, what that gentleman, honourable gentleman, refers to is a document that he hasn't seen. I haven't seen and has been reported second hand in a bunch of media newspapers. But what I can tell him. What I can tell him is, I am absolutely clear that you do need to stop the boat, and that's what this government and that MP is going to deliver. I I notice he didn't deny it, Mr Speaker. I'm not surprised. £400 million of taxpayer money down the drain. No one sent to Rwanda. Small boats still coming. It's hardly a surprise. He wanted to scrap the scheme when he was trying to sneak in as Tory leader. But he's been caught red-handed opposing the very thing that he's now made his flagship policy. Which member should we listen to? The one before us today or the one who used to believe in something? Mr Speaker, Speaker, I've always been crystal clear. You do need to have an effective deterrence to finally solve this problem. In fact, the National Crime Agency agree that you need, in their words, an effective removals and deterrence agreement. And that's why, after becoming Prime Minister, I negotiated a new deal with Albania, thanks to which we have seen a 93% drop in illegal arrivals from Albania. That's how Australia stopped the boats. That's why Italy, Germany and Austria are all looking at similar schemes. He's the only one who's opposed to a proper deterrent. Not because it doesn't work, because he doesn't actually believe in controlling migration, Mr Speaker. Every 
every single time he picks the people smugglers over the British people. Every time. I don't think we are. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, we can all see what's happened here. Just like he knows the debt isn't falling and taxes are going up, he knows the Rwanda gimmick won't work. But he can't be honest about it because he's too scared of his own MPs. Doesn't he wish he'd stuck to his guns rather than to allow himself to be taken hostage by his own party? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, we're, we're debating this because we have taken a stand and we're delivering the toughest migration plan ever to end the legal challenges and actually get flights off the ground. And let's be clear about this. He doesn't have a single, single practical idea about how to stop the boats. But that's because he doesn't actually care about controlling migration. This is a person who described all immigration law as racist, Mr Speaker. He thinks limits on economic migration are, in his words, economic vandalism. It didn't even feature once in his five missions, and he didn't mention it once in his conference speech. The truth is, he's pro-free movement, he's anti-border control, and he can never be trusted to stop the boat. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood with Charles Fletcher. Now, back in the comfy seats of the Press Gallery at the Scottish Parliament, we continue with questions to the First Minister. Here's the presiding officer, Alison Johnston. Question number six, Paul Sweeney. Thank you, presiding officer. To ask the First Minister what urgent steps have been taken to address reports of a mental health crisis with an increase in calls to the NHS 24 Mental Health Hub. First Minister. There's no question that for many people recent times have been extremely challenging, exacerbated of course by COVID and we know the cost of living uh, crisis. So we are committed to support people's mental health and wellbeing uh, just as we are to support their physical health too. Our recently published mental health and wellbeing strategy, uh, delivery plan and workforce action plan recognises that an effective mental health system must address all levels of need. They set out what people have a right to expect from high-quality mental health services and the actions we're taking to achieve those aims. Uh, These actions will continue to evolve, of course, over time, and I'm always open to constructive dialogue with opposition parties on where they think we can go further. Uh, The member references the NHS 24 uh, call volumes. It's good uh, that more people feel able to come forward and ask for help for their mental health, and our substantially increased investment in NHS 24 is helping to ensure that more calls can be responded to. Paul Sweeney. Data from NHS 24 reveals that calls regarding alcohol problems have risen by over 600 in two years and calls regarding psychotic symptoms have more than doubled since 2021. That is not simply people presenting for the first time, First Minister. That's people who are not being seen urgently in the way that they should. And last year, astonishingly, over 7,000 children and young people were turned away from CAMS. That is an average of 26 children a day. Primary and community care services are under growing pressure, and yet ministers have failed to start recruiting the promised additional 1,000 mental health roles, whilst cutting the budget for the coming year by £5 million after inflation. Will the First Minister accept that his mental health strategy will fail unless it is properly resourced? First Minister. When it comes to mental health funding, this government has a record that we are proud of standing on. And again, this is in the face of the most difficult set of finances uh, and and constrictions that we have faced uh, in the history of devolution. The autumn statement 
from the UK government was the worst case scenario uh, for Scotland. But despite that, the difficult decisions, of course, have to be made uh, across government in terms of uh, budget. But this has not, this has not stopped our focus on, on key uh, priorities. And since 2020, 2021, the Mental Health Directorate's programme budget has more than doubled. When it comes to staffing, which is mentioned, uh, which is mentioned uh, by uh, Paul uh, Sweeney, uh, after uh, following our record-breaking investment in CAMS, which I have just mentioned, uh, CAMS staffing has more than doubled under this government. It's gone up by over uh, 126% since uh, 2007. And these are difficult decisions that are being made right across the United Kingdom because of those uh, cuts coming from uh, the UK uh, government. In fact, if I look at Labour Run Wales and their 24-25 budget, here's a quote from their budget. We can no Thank longer you, First increase Minister. funding by 15% in 24-25 as was originally planned. We've reduced existing mental health budget by a further six million. So my point is, of course, that we will do everything we possibly can Briefly, to First Minister. the investment in mental health, uh, but we cannot do that in the face of continued cuts from the UK government. Karen Adam. Thank you, President Officer. Research indicates that 10% of children and young people have a clinically diagnosable mental health issue, and that's around three children in every class. Neurodiverse children and young people are struggling in particular right now, with Scotland currently facing a severe shortage of ADHD medication, which affects approximately 26,000 people. Can I ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government can do to help address this issue? First Minister. Karen Adam, Karen Adam forgive me, does raise a very, very important issue indeed, which I know impacts a number of people across the country. And I do recognise the impact of the global medicine shortages on people living with EDHD and the impact on their families as well. The pricing and supply of medicines is, of course, a reserve matter for the UK government, but we do engage with them regularly and have engaged with them specifically on this particular issue. The shortages are caused by a combination of manufacturing issues and a global increase in demand. And of course, the Brexit red tape certainly hasn't helped. It's anticipated that most of the shortages of ADHD medicine will be resolved uh, this month. Uh, NHS Scotland has robust systems in place to manage medicine shortages when they do arise. And anyone who is affected should, of course, speak to the clinical team in the first instance. We move to general and constituency supplementaries, and I call Tess White. Mining officer. Matrix is one of Brecon's biggest employers, but most of its employees right now await news of their jobs as the manufacturing firm considers its future. Storm Babette has been blamed when the factory was under four feet of water with extensive machine damage. Can the First Minister tell us what his government has done to protect and preserve these highly skilled jobs in Brecon and when the SNP will finally fulfil its promise to support the town at its greatest time of need. First Minister. I, of course, uh, did uh, visit uh, Brecon uh, after uh, Storm uh, Babette and, of course, we have uh, been able to dispense with thousands uh, of pounds in relation to business uh, recovery uh, grants and I can get the exact detail uh, to Tess White in that regard. So we are stepping up to help uh, the people and the businesses of Brecon through funding that we have uh, made available. And we were quick, uh, of course, not just to visit, but to make sure that we acted uh, in terms of Matrix International more generally, more broadly. Uh, I know that the Cabinet Secretary uh, is engaged. I know that Scottish Enterprise continue to be engaged. I was very disappointed to hear reports of potential job losses 
at Matrix uh, International. Uh, and of course, the Scottish Government will provide uh, support through our PACE uh, initiative. PACE has already met with the company to offer support to the workforce, but Neil Gray will continue to, to, to uh, remain engaged, as will Scottish Enterprise. And I'm happy to write to Tess White with further details of that engagement. This is The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. I'm Duncan Glancy. Thank you, Presiding Officer. During the Stage 1 debate on my disabled person's transition to adulthood bill, the Government argued that a change in the law wasn't needed because good practice on ASN was spreading. New data from the Government's school census shows that the number of children with ASN getting legal support via a coordinated support plan has reached its lowest point ever. Despite promised action from this Government, including as far back as 2016, things are getting worse not better, and a generation are failed. So can I ask the First Minister, with countless promises from his government that things will get better, why is support for young people with additional support needs getting so much worse? First Minister. We have uh, invested significantly in ASN support uh, for our young people. Uh, what I would say to uh, Pam Duncan Glancy is, of course, that there are a number of reasons why the government doesn't, didn't feel that they could support uh, her bill, but we are always open to work with Pam Duncan Glancy, with any member right across this chamber, uh, to see what further work we can do, what more we can do to support our young people when it comes to the ASN uh, support they required. But of course, what we will continue to do is not just uh, invest uh, in that, we'll continue to engage with our local authorities who, of course, in Budget 24-25, as presented by the Deputy First Minister, are getting a significant increase in their budget, which will hopefully help in this regard. This is The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. Jim Fairley. Thank you very much, President Officer. First Minister, like many others, I've been contacted by constituents on the Scottish Government's position uh, on the bully dog and the position of the bully dog breed, the XL bully dog breed. In light of the new controls on the breed in England and Wales, which have come into effect on the 1st of February, can the First Minister outline when his government will reach a decision on their own on this issue? First Minister. Well, uh, first uh, and foremost, it's probably worth saying that the, uh, the, the description of what is happening in England and Wales is not a, a ban on XL uh, bully uh, dogs. Of course, they can still, uh, owners can still uh, keep an XL bully dog. They have to make sure it's registered on the exemption index. They have to fulfil the other criteria uh, of the legislation. And of course, when this was first announced without any consultation uh, with the Scottish Government, or indeed, as far as I can see, any consultation with animal uh, welfare stakeholders, uh, we committed the Scottish Government to engage with animal welfare stakeholders and, of course, uh, to continue to engage with the UK uh, Government. What has become clear, I'm afraid, in the last few weeks is that we have seen a flow uh, of XL bully dogs coming uh, to Scotland, a number of people uh, transferring, uh, coming to, 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 to Scotland to bring XL bully dogs uh, here to the country. Uh, as such, uh, and we'll give further details uh, to uh, members of the Scottish Parliament through a ministerial statement if the Parliamentary Bureau uh, agrees next week. Uh, we will, uh, in essence, replicate the legislation that is in England uh, and uh, Wales here in Scotland, because ultimately, although we do have uh, a very good system of dog control uh, notice uh, schemes, um, and we do take the approach of deed, uh, not breed, we have to respond uh, to the situation uh, as it currently stands, and therefore, uh, we will do what we need to do to ensure public safety. But further detail will be given uh, by uh, the appropriate minister next week, subject to parliamentary bureau's agreement. Liam Kerr. Thank you, presiding officer. New figures show that 11 people have died and 69 have been seriously injured in accidents on the A96 in the last four years. The Scottish Government promised in 2011 that it would be duelled by 2030, but that is now subject to a review at a cost of 
£5 million and whose publication has been delayed by over a year. So, First Minister, when will this review finally be published and will this government ever duel this killer road? First Minister. What, uh, of course, doesn't help when it comes to our capital infrastructure projects is a 10% cut to our capital budget over the next five years. So what Conservative members can't do is come to this chamber, demand we continue to invest in roads, but simultaneously cut our budget time and time and time uh, again. So as confirmed Let's through hear our programme for government, we remain absolutely committed to improving the A96, including dueling Inverness to Nairn and the Nairn Bypass which already has ministerial consent following that public local inquiry. The Minister for Transport is due, uh, I believe, uh, is due to meet, I know, with uh, uh, members uh, uh, that have an interest in the A96 uh, on the 25th uh, of January. We'll provide a more detailed update on the scheme, along with details about how the review uh, is being undertaken on the wider A96 corridor. However, in the interim, let me absolutely assure uh, all members that preparation uh, work continues at pace on the Inverness uh, to Nairn, including the Nairn bypass section, and I can advise that I expect orders for the scheme that will be made, uh, will be made in the first quarter of 2024 with a view to completing the necessary statutory process. And Neil Booby. Thank you, President Officer. The Accounts Commission today are discussing their report into Renfrewshire Council's handling of the Dargaville schools debacle, estimated to cost Renfrewshire's children and taxpayers up to £170 million. The Commission have stated the Council faces a challenge to rebuild trust and confidence. They have also stated the community will be dealing with the consequences of this error for some time. Given that, how can the First Minister have confidence in Renfrewshire Council when so many local parents do not? And given funding for a new Thorn Primary School has been rejected by the Government, what support will the Government provide to Renfrewshire's children to stop them paying the price of their Council's incompetence? First Minister. Uh, can I say, uh, first and foremost, that Neil Bibby is right, and he has been right over a number of months, to raise uh, the serious concerns that parents have in Renfrewshire uh, over uh, this particular situation. And they will, the Council will have to reflect very hard uh, in relation to how they rebuild trust uh, with uh, parents in this, uh, in, in this regard. Uh, we do have, uh, from the Scottish Government's perspective, a good record of investing uh, in schools in terms of new schools and also refurbishments uh, right across uh, local authorities, including, of course, uh, in Renfrewshire as well. And in terms of what the Scottish Government can do, of course, through the budget announced by Deputy First Minister, Budget 24-25, we are giving a significant uplift uh, to local government. So we'll continue to engage uh, with local government and with Renfrewshire Council on this issue, but it is the responsibility of the local authority and of Renf Renfrewshire Council to ensure they rebuild trust uh, with the parents and the families affected. And that's the Week in Holyrood from Caledonia Media. I'm Charles Fletcher. Join me again at the same time next week or at time of your choosing on SoundCloud or Replay. Aikiva.
from the Sky News Centre at 107.co.uk and on air at 107 FM. This is K107 News.